Hello and welcome to the OCR Exams podcast, where we'll be chatting with a range of guest speakers from the world of education. My name's Anthony, I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. Here at OCR, we're committed to supporting teachers and exams officers at every step of their journey with us. We're also here to help our students reach their full potential, and some of our podcasts will feature tips and advice on revising, preparing for exams, and managing mental health. Please remember to like, comment on and subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're using and be sure to follow our other social media channels. We're on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube and Instagram. Just search for OCR exams. You can also find a range of subject specific blogs on our website, ocr.org.uk forward slash blog. So let's get started with today's episode. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the OCR podcast. My name is Kate Thompson and I'm a subject advisor for sport here at OCR. Hi, my name's John Vary and I'm also a subject advisor for PE and sport at, here at OCR. So today we'll be chatting to our guests about high performance sport in schools and universities. So let me welcome and introduce our guest Jenny King from Blumhoff High School in South Africa. Jenny is a head of high performance at Blumhoff an all-girls school in Stellenbosch. Hi, Jenny, and thanks for joining us. Would you like to introduce yourself to our guests? Yeah, hi, everybody. I'm Jenny King. As Kate has mentioned, I um, live in Stellenbosch. Um, For a number of years, I was involved in the High Performance Centre at the University of Stellenbosch, with my main sport being hockey. Um, Although the HP Centre oversaw all the sports, all, all our main sports at the university, and now I'm currently head of um, high performance and and sport management at Bloomhoff High School, which is an all-girls school in Stellenbosch. All right, so let's get started. Let's let's just go straight in with uh, just a general question. What are your personal sporting highlights, Jenny? Um, well, I was a player myself, but I think my main sporting highlights really materialised once I started coaching. Um, I was a very privileged position to attend two Olympic Games with the national hockey team, one as assistant coach and the other one as head coach. Um, I attended three Commonwealth Games, four World Cups. Um, so, yeah, very much um, uh, international highlights, which I was lucky to have. But if I had to say which was my absolute highlight of all of them would probably be in the Manchester Commonwealth Games. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Fab, bringing it home, Manchester. So how did you personally get involved in high performance on a sort of a coaching level then? Because you have, you've said you were a player and then you progressed through the coaching. Yeah. So, um, you know, in, in our country, we, have, we never really had a, 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 a coaching career path. It was kind of a little, little bit of hit and miss. And um, so I started at school at when I was still teaching, and then I moved into the national team. And with that, um, traveling around the world, getting exposure at the different tournaments, um, we often stayed at different universities. I was lucky enough to really absorb all the information that I could from around the world. Um, I was then offered a job at University of Stellenbosch, and along with um, a colleague, Sean Sermon we were tasked with setting up the high performance structures at the university. 
So it was a little bit of hit and miss. It was learning from my travels and then coming back and consolidating it into a program along with Sean, who was a sports science expert. So I think it's fair to say that there were a few challenges within your career? Yeah, I, but I think the challenges are good because my struggles perhaps has helped put things in place for other coaches in the country. Um, I was instrumental in writing the coaching programs for South African hockey and the coaching career paths for and, and the, the different um, levels that each coach needs to go through in order to qualify for the international coaching accreditation. So, you know, having had those frustrations, you, you can actually create something really positive out of it. And, of course, it was really exciting setting up a high-performance um, centre at a university where you um, do have quite a lot more support than possibly you would have at a school. Yeah. So, so what, what, if we look specifically at the high-performance players, what would a day look like for them at the university? Yeah, I think we, just before I move on to that, I think it's in, it's really important that, and it's whether it's school or university, your your high performance program must be athlete centered, um, and it then driven by the coach. Uh, and if if it's like that, then then your your integrated sports science and medicine approach um, can be you can have a, a blueprint which is then appropriate for all different sports. So if it's athlete-centered and coach-driven, the coach and the athlete can then decide what they different uh, different sports require and what the different individual athletes require. Um, and then you 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 really have a, a model um, of of what services you provide to to the students. So if I take you through those services, then I will be able to tell you what a, a normal high-performance day would look like for a, an elite athlete at a university. Um, so you obviously have your medical services because it's really important that you you screen and you do functional movement screening on these athletes. Um, you can't just get an, an athlete fresh in um, and then expect them. To, you you need to analyze where their bodies are at if they have any medical problems before you 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 start putting them in through a, a high performance program. And then a link to that would be nutritional assessments, rehabilitation, pre prehabilitation. And then um, something that I have at our school and we had at the university is an injury clinic where after our fixtures on the weekend, on a Monday morning at 20 past 10, any athlete or player who picked up an injury can then go and have it assessed so that we have a, a, a path of which to follow on how we get that player back to 100%. Um, then you have your other performance enhancement services like sports vision and decision-making training. Um, video feedback that's um, very, very popular amongst coaches at the moment. Um, your physical testing and evaluation. Um, I have a different view on that. I, I use my um, conditioning and fitness testing to see if my program's working as opposed to see if the athletes are doing it. Um, because we know they're doing it because we have a, a, a conditioning coach out with them. So our testing is really to identify are the programs appropriate and getting the players to where they need to be. Um, then, of course, there's other types of recovery. And then a very big part, but I think we'll get onto that a little bit later, is the mental skills for both athletes and coaches. Sure. I mean, that's so, it's quite lengthy, so, isn't it? Yeah. So, But it's a, it's, a, it's a menu which a coach will take each individual player and identify what aspects that each player needs because not every player needs everything. 
So it, it is lengthy, and you you wouldn't put it on place every 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 part of it on every athlete because they would just wouldn't have time. Number one to study, and they and they'd be burnt out. Yeah. So it, a typical day of an athlete would probably up early um, for gym in the morning. Um, then at our universities, we and and also in our school system, we they don't get off time for cl- of class time to to train. So it's all done after hours. So um, they would probably have gym in the morning, then they would go to classes. And in the evenings, they would have a conditioning session and a skills training session. And then um, on, on a, maybe every second week, there would be a mental skills session led by a sports psychologist or a mental skills coach. And um, then, of course, if they had any injury or were doing any prehab, that would be done in their own time as well. It's, um, it's quite a substantial package and I don't think uh, personally I mean I've, I've been there I've, I've seen it but to actually have that sort of support in place the facilities to do all of these things I mean it, it's, it's quite something but also to have the it, all these different parts working together for the for the one athlete, the team um, takes some sort of organisation, doesn't it? So we've looked at the physical. You know, you've you've yeah. got your rehab, you've got your prehab. Yeah. Um, mental health is very um, prominent in the press at the moment, and I think a lot of people, especially following the the pandemic, are very um, aware of their own mental health. Did did you bring anything in at university level to to help your players cope with the demands of the sport? Well, yeah, and we did that on in a, in a team scenario. So we would do things like um, uh, it, it, uh, I've lost my train of thought, but it, something like um, goal setting. Where does the goal want to go? Uh, where does the team want to go? What are our small goals? How, where do we want to be at the end of the season? And we and we did a lot of team building type of things in order to try and create a cohesive, cohesive, happy group. But then, of course, there's the individuals within the group, which we didn't. There was always a mental skills coach available to them that if they wanted to contact him and have a one-on-one, that was available. Um, but then also as a coach, you've got to kind of keep your ear to the ground and, and try and identify because a number of these players will possibly keep it um, hidden from you. Okay. Yeah. So, so make it a safe space for them to be able to open up to their teammates, their coach? Yeah, I think that's important. And, you know, as a coach, you've got to look out for little things because this is something that an individual might keep hidden from you. But, you, you know, things like if they, they're just not their, their normal self in a training session, if they start losing excessive amount of weight um you might uh, find that they are missing practices overly fatigued those are all sort of little um hints of that there could be some underlying problem and you know when they're in university it could be linked to they because of the load they have on their sport that they're struggling to do all the academics so it's it's a it's a real balancing act and it's very important that the coach either has the skills to identify that or that there is somebody available for them that on their own accord they could go and speak to. Yeah. And I think, go on, sorry, John. 
Yeah, so, sorry, Jen. So you, you talk about identifying uh, sort of these issues amongst um, your students, players. Um, so once you've identified that, what kind of things would, would, would be put in place to try and support them? Yeah, you know, I think it depends on the, the relationship you have with your individual players. Um, in my case, I tended to have very strong relationships with, with, with the athletes in my team, and I still manage to do it now. Um, where I would I would say to them, look, you're looking a little bit tired. Come and see me tomorrow. Maybe you need some time off. And, you know, normally if you create a safe space, they'll open up to you. But yeah. then my first, I'm, I'm certainly not qualified to deal with issues like that. And um, I think that's very important as a coach that stick to what your strengths are and, and have a team of people working around you. So I would then re refer them to a mental skills coach. Yeah. Um, in order to find some form of coping techniques or to make them happier and, and feel that they're coping. So it is yeah. all about sort of giving your players the tools for them to continue within their sporting career and their professional career without sort of damaging themselves in a way, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, in my case it was more, and it's something lacking in South African sport, is that we, we don't offer anything further. You know, once their sport is over, they haven't been equipped to what now. So, and, and I think that, uh, you know, number sports with a lot of money in South Africa, for instance, like cricket and rugby, I think they have very good programs to develop their, their professional athletes that when, when they finish competing, they can go into some form of career path. But that's definitely work in progress in South Africa in the, the sports that don't have as much money. But, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, in anything, if, um, if a player gets injured, you must be prepared to um, surround yourself with um, other experts and allow them to work with your team. And um, so, for instance, if I had somebody who had an injury, it would be a physio or a doctor. Um, I wouldn't sort of say, well, I can strap it up and you can carry on playing. Um, it's the same with your mental skills coaches. Um, you have people that are really qualified in that area. And as a coach, you must embrace these people. It's not a one a one coach shop when it comes to a high performance program. Yeah, just, just picking up on that, Jen, in terms of, you know, talking about, we you know, uh, elite performance uh, programs and just thinking about obviously preparing people for, you know, the professional life. But I'm also uh, interested in, uh, you know, maybe those performers who don't, perhaps reach the elite level or perform over a long period of time. Do you see a dropout rate altogether from the sport or do, do, does it, do they filter down the, the sort of pyramid of participation? Um, just interested about that because working in schools in this country, I, certainly over the last four five, six years, I've seen huge dropouts of in football for youngsters who've been at academies and then are released at an early age and then literally don't continue to play the sport anymore, which uh, um, I find really disappointing. I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, and, and it's a problem that we have in South Africa. Um, slightly different, I think, to your problem is that we find that um, the athletes who have competed at a high level, when they leave school, there's a big dropout rate. Um, but it's not necessary to go and couch potato. We're finding that they're moving away from formal sport and formal um, practice and training to more informal that they can do in their own times. Um, we're very fortunate in our country that we have very good weather. So mountain biking, um, marathon running, mm -hmm. um, those type of um, informal where you can do it in your own time have become very popular. Um, but it is uh, it is a worry at 
um, club level in the afternoons or in the evenings, those clubs are struggling to fill teams now because there's such a wide approach to other types of sport that they would rather do. Mm. Sure. I mean, there is a lot of people that are active, you know, in, in after school age. I Personally, I think in South Certainly Africa, in a lot our, more. Yeah. yeah. Certainly in our country, and a lot of them opt for ones where I buy a bicycle, but then I don't have to pay to belong to a club, or and mm. um, I can do my own time, and it, it just is more suitable. So, yeah. but I think our weather is a huge role in that. Yeah, massive, massive. I think we'd all be out all the time if it wasn't <laughs> snowing and hailing and sun shining. As you know, Jen, three seasons in one day. That's yeah. what we are experiencing. So, um, moving on to your current uh, job role within Bluff Girls School, um, what what's what's the, the structure for uh, school sport in South Africa compared and almost compare it to the the university structure? Well, um, I think the better comparison would be to compare to in what you have in in Britain. So our our schools sports we we compete in schools at our at our in our country whereas in england at at primary or junior level they compete in clubs so we have a extremely um competitive league um amongst particularly in rugby cricket water polo hockey netball um between schools and it's it's a it's a major major business um most of the top schools in the country have live streaming we have a now have a designated television channel which shows the the top fixtures of every week um so it's it's becoming very professional it requires a lot of money it, it requires a lot of expertise and unfortunately it's also brought in this thing that uh, of sort of the trading of uh, athletes so schools offering bursaries and outbidding each other to to get a, a particular child to their school to to come and compete for them, um, we also have a life orientation program which has a practical aspect to it as well. So um, for, uh, kids that are at school really have the and it is our strongest structure in in South African sport, and um, I think that's why there's such a big fall off after school, because once we get to club and provincial level or um, regional level. Um, the the structures are not very organised, and that's where it all falls apart. I think it's I think, and I'm literally just going to say this for the, for the English audience. The high schools in South Africa run from um, our, what they, what we would call our secondary schools, and they do a sixth form. So this, the girls will only leave Bloomoff once they turn eighteen, and they've done Correct. their matric exam. Um, life orientation is a bit like PSE. PSE and PE combined. Um, so it's trying to give the students all the all the tools they need to go out into life. But life orientation also happens in primary school level as well. So just to clear up a few um, uh, sort of details there. But also, I mean, we, we do compete school, school on school in the UK, but we don't travel quite as far as you guys. I mean, you are you are preparing at the moment for St Mary's, aren't you? Which is a school in Johannesburg. Um, so 
your schools do travel across the country, don't they, to compete? Yeah, they do. And um, yeah, and that goes across the board for all the sports. Um, we have very, very big sports festivals where we will, uh, you know, fly to um, because our country is quite broad and wide. So mostly we fly, which costs a, a lot of money for parents. Um, but yeah, we do. It's, it's, a, it's a national league and um, it's very, very well supported both by supporters and by the schools and by the athletes. So you you said before I interjected about um, schools offering bursaries to the, the top athletes to try and get them to come and play for their, their school. What sort of talent identification do you, do you have talent identification within Blumhoff or do you just take what's, what's given to you and and run with it yeah so I, I know I'm very very old-fashioned um, but I, I like to work with a group of girls who want to be part of our school and not a group of girls who have bought, been bought into our school um, I just think that you can do so much more with athletes that are passionate about where they are um, so in our school we make do with what we what we, who applies and what we get um, we have managed in most of our sports to be in the top 10 of the country um, which is immediately a draw card. So we do draw top athletes, but without having to go and offer them accommodation that's paid for um, schooling or the, the school fees that are paid for. Um, but yeah, if you want to be in the top four in the country, you most definitely have to have some form of scholarship program going and go out, identify the top athletes and buy them into your school. And, and so... Sorry, oh, sorry Kay. I'll just, no, no. just jump in now. I'm just quite interested to know because obviously my knowledge of the South African school system is very uh, limited. Um, I'm just interested to know in terms of um, like participation opportunities for all girls at the school. Is, is Are they all able to compete at some level? Is there sort of a first team, second team, third team or how does that work? Yeah, so in South Africa, that's one thing that I think we've really got right, that we do have our high performance teams, which are going to be our A sides in each sport. But yes. then after that, we have reams of, 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 of teams. So in mm -hmm. netball, we have 23 teams. In hockey, we have another 11 teams. Um, water polo, we'll have another three. Um, our tennis goes right down to all the league teams. And then we have social tennis. So that is one thing that I think that South Africa has got right, is that in our school, we have our, our um, high-performance sports. And then we have our competition sports which are sports that we don't run a high performance, but the kids participate at it. And then we have our recreational sports as well, which is just for the, the child that wants to be healthy and enjoy. So that would be something like um, water aerobics, Pilates, um, uh, mountain hiking, that type of thing. But yeah, also I mean, you don't run PE lessons. You, this mm -hmm. is all after school, isn't it? Yeah, this is all done outside after the school. So we our sport, sport program starts at half past two in the afternoon and we finish at five o'clock. And is that With, a compulsory um, uh, part of the girls' education? In our school, it's not because we have a very big culture and we do try and encourage them to either be do culture or sport. But right. there are some sports who make uh, some schools that have compulsory sport, but our school mm -hmm. doesn't. When she says culture... She's talking things like chess, dance, debating. Okay. Um, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's quite it's quite something to see that all these students stay back voluntarily after school and do 
so much. Yeah, so just forgive my ignorance on this again then, Kate and Jen. So so within the day, teachers are um, delivering lessons within the curriculum, whether that's maths, English, etc. And then there's specific sports coaches for each of these sports in this uh, session at the end of school is 2.30 to 5. Is that right? And that's their focus? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and we also bring in outside coaches, or we're very lucky we're in a university town, so there's a lot of young uh, athletes that want a little bit of extra money and they come and coach at the schools. So our, our teachers that are delivering curriculum subjects, actually very few of them are involved in the actual coaching at schools. Yeah, it's an interesting approach, that isn't it, Kate? Coming yeah. from you know the sort of our system where you're delivering your lessons in the day, and then as a teacher, you then you know doing your fixtures and your training straight after school. It's a, um, it's yeah. very interesting, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be lovely if we could adopt parts of the system because you know so many people want. So many schools have got really good sides, but would benefit from some of this extra yeah. stuff that the South Africans do. I know, and we could end up down a, a, a massive rabbit hole here, which we won't go down, is, which is, what, is the, what is the purpose of physical education in schools and, you know, and et cetera. Yeah. So, but, yeah, it's very yeah. interesting, but excellent. So in terms, of, in terms of your day, I know you're extremely busy. What, what, what's a school day like for, for, for a staff member? Um, how many lessons does a, a, a child have during the day? Yeah, so um, we start at 20 past 7 in the morning. The kids start at 20 to 8. Um, they will have eight lessons a day with two um, relatively short breaks in between. Um, our staff will normally have seven lessons a day. They normally get one lesson off. Um, and then our sports staff who work in, in my um, area, they we start also 20 past 7. We do admin organizing uh, it's fixture organizing it's buses it's organizing tours um flights all that type of admin during the morning and then at 20 past two we go out onto the fields we get everything ready and we we hope we leave by five o'clock but that doesn't often happen hours it's a long day it's a long day for everyone i think yeah yeah um, but you know the day is not too long for the kids. We we only train the A sides only train three afternoons a week, so they usually have their Wednesday afternoons off to themselves. So we have we make sure that there's always a, a, a one day free there, and then they'll have a fixture on either the Friday night or the Saturday morning. And um, your your tournaments, as I mentioned, you're off to St Mary's very soon. Um, yeah. What what format does that take? So there are 30, 32 teams that competed that competition in eight, eight. We start with eight different pools and then we go down to four pools and then it goes down to your top top four, next four. So it's a very intense tournament. Um, every single game counts. Um, there are obviously strong teams there. There are teams vying to try and get compete with the strong ones and then there are weaker teams who... Um, so as your tournament goes on, you, you kind of end up fitting into the the group that you equally matched with so it, there's something for everybody there it's a four-day tournament and you start at i think it's just after seven in the morning and the last fixtures are normally about seven o'clock at night so busy busy old time 
Yeah, but great. The, the kids love it. Sounds fun. As a, imagine myself as a, uh, I'm just thinking back when I was at school, that would be like, sounds like my ideal day, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And um, they, they just meet lifelong friends. And, yeah. you know, so it's more than just, the, it ends up being more than just the hockey or the netball that, that yeah. they're competing in. It's it's meeting these friends. And another big thing in South Africa is into schools. So we will choose four schools, some in our region, some across the country. And we have a derby day, um, which is, you know, everybody comes to. We have you know, every single team plays. We have parents here. It's it's a massive, massive derby day. But those those girls particularly um, form lifelong friends there. And we, we have a boys' school across the road. So we try and match up with them that we have our derby days on the same day just to create a, a really good environment, sports environment in, in Stellenbosch town. And that is something to see, everybody. If you get chance, is it Stellenbosch when there is a sports fixture like this happening? You you cannot get your head around it. It's, it you'd be jealous, John. You'd be yeah, jealous. Sounds fantastic. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, this is all really nice, isn't it? For the kids, they go off, they they get to spend four days with their teammates doing something that they love. Um, being coached um, and watching other people playing. What sort of, does the school give any allowance for the girls that go off and do this? Do, is there any additional support put in place? I mean, I know you've said about the injury clinic that they can go to, which is on site. Um, is there anything else that you, you give them to help them cope with yeah so sport. yeah so from a financial point of view we draw up budgets um a year in advance and the school does contribute towards these trips um but that contribution mainly covers the cost of the management that goes with so it is unfortunately for the player's pocket um but um our captain's moms normally get something together there are kids who can't afford it in our country and we're well aware of that so even tonight we've got um close on 300 parents and kids coming for a hockey and netball barbecue um, and we selling hamburgers on the day to raise funds for kids who can't afford to go. So we do have budget, but then we also do have fundraising um, and our play, our parents in our particular team also have a players fund that the dads contribute towards helping girls who can't afford to go. And do you, do you also employ some of the strategies you got at university with, um, like counselling, like um, almost like chatting sessions where they can put their fears across and things? Yeah, so I, I very much use the blueprint that we created at Stellenbosch University, um, but in a watered down, uh, in a slightly watered down way, because these are athletes that are, you know, I might have, I have one um, athlete in my team that uh, represents South Africa at under 16 level. So she might need something more than a girl who's just pretty talented and enjoys playing in the first team. So we, I do have a strength and conditioning trainer allocated to my side. It's myself as head coach. I have a physio who will, who works with the athletes should they be injured or should they have a niggle. And um, we have an allocated umpire to our team and I have an allocated manager. And then on the side of that, we have kind of little, I call it popcorn when somebody pops in and, and assists us. So I work with a, a sports science or mental skills coach 
And every now and again, when I say every now and again, I try and do it once a month. I'll phone him and say, look, come and talk to the girls on this. And he'll come and intervene. And through that, if something sort of hits a nerve with one of the kids afterwards, there's time for them to go and talk to him and say, listen, this is what I'm struggling with or I find this stressful. And he will give them some form of coping technique. I mean, that's absolutely fantastic. And am I right in thinking the physio will actually travel with you to some of the big tournaments as well? Yeah, to the ones. So a lot of these tournaments will have a physio. um, There's a physio company that comes in and sets up a whole lot of um, cubicles. So if, so for instance, St. Mary's does have their own physio unit. So then we don't travel with it, uh, with one, because it obviously cuts costs. But if we go to another tournament where there isn't a physio unit on site, then we will travel with our own physio. Uh, I mean, we're making any PE teacher now really jealous. Um, (laughs) So if they wanted to, to adopt any of this, do you think that English schools could put some of your ideas, strategies, tactics in place and be and it be successful within the UK education system? Um, yeah, if they've got team sports. And I, I was under the impression that you mostly just had your life orientation. I wasn't aware that you actually played against other schools. But um, I think for the British schools, if, if you do play, um, if you do select teams within your schools and go and play other schools, I think it's important to decide what are your high-performance sports and not try and be a jack-of-all-trades at every sport and then which are your competition. And then, yeah, for me, it's a blueprint. You can you can use the blueprint across all, any sport you want to and it's up to you to decide who, what you're going to surround your team by. Um, our under-14 sides don't have video analysis yet, but halfway through the season, we start implementing it because sometimes too much information isn't in their best interests. So your your menu of what you provide certainly can, but it must be age specific, and um, also depend on the level at which the athletes compete. I mean, I know we do. You know, most schools have access to a video camera. Some have these amazing cameras they put on long poles that almost feel film sort of 180 degrees of action. That they could use that footage, couldn't they? They could look back yeah. at that footage and say to their their guys, like, right, this this is, I don't know, this is our centre pass. What what happened? What went wrong? Can you see where you can move? That that's, I mean, that's very basic stuff that we could do, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's not just in team team. Um, now with everybody with cell phones, it's so easy if somebody's struggling with their hit or a centre pass or to just video them as an individual and show them the feedback. You know, things like golf. Um, you, know, any, you know, once you can film your short corners, um, penalty corners in hockey and show them immediately on the field because it's on your cell phone yeah. what they, where they're running wrong. So video f- feedback is, is absolutely huge and very, very beneficial to in, improve your athletes quicker. I mean, it, I mean, it is very very time consuming and and when we're teaching and doing the coaching the clubs after school yeah we don't necessarily have the I think I think you would see some of this Kate for sure and I know you would see this in sort of our our private schools with across the country um Mm. I think uh, obviously the state schools um 
a slightly different situation certainly yeah. with the current you know the funding that goes into education uh, again let's not go down the rabbit hole of <laughs> government funding but um, you know, I think it's something that there's little things, you know, the smartphones that you talk about there are exactly right, you know, and, and, and really useful bits of kit, aren't they, to get feedback and to help yeah. improve performance on, on basically any, any sort of level, not just at sort of, you know, elite performance level. But also having the off-season and pre-season, because you, you don't just focus when it's season time, do you, Jen? No, no, we have a we'll have a pre-season and then we have and after the season we'll have a say a four or five week break and then we go into post-season where we've analysed what were our shortcomings and that's where we work on that. It's um, yeah, I don't think we re- can really draw that much of a comparison between the UK education system and the South African education system, but there's definitely food for thought. Absolutely. For for lots of people, you know, wherever you're listening in the world. Um, John, do you have any more questions for Jen? No, I mean, we could spend all day, but I know that Jen's very busy. So we're, um, uh, I don't <laughs> have any that, that come off the top of my head at the moment, but it's certainly been really interesting. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed having that conversation this morning. Yeah, perhaps I could finish on, on saying when you say that you can't really um, – draw comparisons between us because we do have a very different school system here. But I I think there's one thing that there are so many more jobs becoming available in in the area of sport, for instance, becoming video analysis people, um, physio, um, strength and conditioning training. And that could be an area where your life orientation and your sport programs within schools could really stimulate interest amongst the kids who who are participating to maybe go on and get better at that. Yeah, yeah definitely. No. Yeah. I think that links in, doesn't it, Kate, to the qualifications, sort of the yeah. you know, yes. A level, yeah. the Cambridge Technicals, Cambridge Nationals, GCSE, which you know do are covering areas of you know like say um, principles of training, training methods. Um, I know we're looking at in the development redevelopment of the new Cambridge Technicals. We're looking at putting a standalone sport and technology unit in there. Uh, currently yeah. working on that. So yeah, that's a definite um, yeah definite point for sure. Ah, right. So that's all for our High Performance Sport podcast episode. Thank you very much, Jenny, for joining us. To you listening, I hope you found this episode interesting. Don't forget to share this podcast with your colleagues and students and please get in touch with us if you need any further support. All our contact details and social media, don't forget the Twitter, can be found at ocr.org.uk forward slash contact. <laughs>